2: the world is filled with extraordinary armpits little pits flat pits concave pits the horse
3: more than any other species that we've studied is magnificent at producing sweat
0: my palms are getting clammy my hot lip is getting sweaty and my armpits are warming up
3: made to help keep you dry with extra ingredients
1: for the extra feelings a woman has i sweat when
4: all the time. I'm a heavy sweater.
1: Yeah, everyone sweats, don't they?
4: Sweat is basically 99% water, but the rest, one actually has important information.
5: How are your armpits feeling?
6: Uh, you don't want to be the stinky guy in school. Yeah, so you usually put the odour on. It usually helps, yeah.
5: Her husband's left armpit always smelled better than his right armpit. <laughs> We've got
6: a slight discoloration. <laughs> oh no, emergency.
5: Because your pit is perfect. And I got one more. So show them off.
6: We all do it, and it happens automatically. And if you didn't, well, you'd probably die. (coughs) Sweat. It can make you smell really bad, and we spend billions fighting it.
0: But today, scientists are using sweat to see how fit and healthy you are. So what is sweat,
6: and why do we do it?
0: And can you really sweat like a pig? Not me. I'm Simon Morton. And I'm Alison Balance, and this is The Science of Sweat.
7: We're here in a heat chamber, we've got Alison and Simon on bikes and the idea behind them exercising and in the heat is that we start them sweating a lot earlier and get them really sweaty so that we can measure how much they're sweating.
0: Dr Toby Mundell, he's a lecturer at Massey University's School of Sport and Exercise.
7: We've got a fan in the background which is blowing the heated air around the room, which is currently about 30 degrees and nearly 60% humidity. So just imagine that you're lying on a beach in Rarotonga somewhere. The plan is to get you guys to start cycling and probably in about 10 minutes we should start to see sweat happening certainly on your faces, on your arms and you'll also notice that your clothing will start sticking to you. Once you've started sweating that's when we're actually going to measure exactly how much sweat both of you are producing. And are you expecting us to sweat in different places? Would we have different sweat profiles? Yes. So, firstly, I would probably expect Alison to be sweating less than you, Simon. Generally, women sweat less than men. But, yes, you sweat on a different amounts and different body parts, so high sweat areas are perhaps your face as well as your back and your chest. Low sweat areas are things like your arms and your legs and your trunk. Let's get pedalling.
0: Have
5: a ride.
6: Now you're probably wondering, what is sweat? It's mainly water, but a little bit more.
5: Sodium, chloride, potassium, calcium, lactate, creatinine, glucose, uric acid, amino acids, DHEA, cortisol, interleukins, tumor necrosis factor, neuropeptides.
0: Now we could measure all of these and we could use these biomarkers to discover how healthy we are. Say, needle-free ways of helping us manage diabetes, for example.
6: And we'll have more on these health applications in a moment and the prospect of using sweat as an important early warning system. But back in the lab, things are starting to heat up.
0: My palms are getting clammy, my hot lip is getting sweaty and my armpits are warming up.
7: I can actually pick some of that up because the room itself is getting a little bit warmer and a bit humid, so it's just over 31 degrees now, but the humidity's risen. It's about 70%. As you guys start sweating, as we carry on talking, the room's just going to get warmer and wetter. Toby, what's actually happening, though? How is my body working out how much to sweat?
6: Because I'm not allocating any intellectual resources to this process. I'm not saying, okay,
7: Simon, you're heating up, you're getting out of breath, sweat you've got temperature receptors all over your skin and also in your muscles. And right now, they're telling you that your body's warm and that you're actually creating heat by cycling. So your brain is registering that and sending out further signals to send more blood flow to the skin to get rid of that heat. When that's not enough, that's when you're gonna start to see quite a bit of sweat appear. So if the blood isn't doing a good enough job in removing
6: the heat from the surface of my skin, Somewhere in my brain, there's a
7: signal that says, Time to create some sweat. Yeah, that's right. Your hypothalamus, which is one of the most primitive parts, it controls things like thirst and temperature. It's going to start telling your body to start sweating so that there's a limited rise in your body temperature. How many sweat glands do we have? So, Ecrine sweat glands, the ones that actually take care of our heat loss, our thermoregulation, we've got anywhere between about two and a half to four million. That's what a typical person has. So, Ecrine, you say? Ecrine sweat glands. They're different to the apocrine, which is what I would possibly smell if I snuck my <laughs> nose under your armpit.
0: No, don't do that. <laughs> so, the eccrine glands, are they all over the place?
7: Yeah, they're all over your skin. You've got high concentrations on, on your face, the top of your hands, you've got lower concentrations on your legs and your arms, whereas the apocrine glands, which are the ones that actually eventually make us smell quite a bit, tend to be just your armpits, the soles of your feet and the palms of your hands. Do I sweat? Yeah, probably.
0: Yeah, I don't like sweating. It's not very nice. Ladies glow. Members spy. And animals sweat. Teenagers do. You
2: don't want to be the stinky guy in school.
0: I sweat. When? All the time. Really? I'm a heavy sweater. Hey, did you know the reason we're so sweaty is to do with climate change?
6: So things heated up?
0: No, no, it's great. Completely counterintuitive. Things got cooler. So, cast your mind back three million years ago, we were hairy little hominids living in the jungle. Things got cooler. They also got drier. The jungle disappeared. We started living out in the savannah, came down out of the trees. But we all had these big, thick, hairy coats on. And even though we sweated, when we started running to catch our dinner, uh, it wasn't very good. So we lost the hair. We developed all these equine glands and we became these super marathon runners that could hunt down dinner
6: So we'd run a marathon, we'd have dinner we'd stop and then we'd smell Why do we smell?
5: Body odour is caused in part by what we eat. A few things that we eat can actually produce a little bit of metabolites. So that's like the breakdown products of what we eat. But most of it is where bacteria are drinking our sweat and then they're digesting that and it's their body waste essentially that we're smelling. So we're smelling our bacteria, not ourselves.
0: That's Marianne Barrier of the Genomics and Microbiology Research Lab at the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences. So what she's saying
6: is that we don't actually smell, no sweat is sterile until it hits the skin surface when the microbes, those beasties that live on us, start to eat it. And specifically, those apocrine glands, well, they secrete gooey stuff. It's a bit like a smorgasbord for bacteria. You've got sebum and fats and lipids and moisture and they, well, they eat it and that means you smell
0: and Dr. Armpit, a.k.a. Chris Callawart of the University of California, San Diego, he has sniffed thousands of other people's pits. And he reckons there are more bacteria in your armpits than there are humans on this planet. So who are they?
1: A typical armpit consists for 80% out of Corynebacterium and staphylococci. Corynebacterium is the problematic one. They cause body odour by transforming apocrine secretion into smelly compounds, while staphylococci don't lead up to uh, underarm body odor. And if you have carinobacterium, so the bad one, he doesn't come alone, and he brings on along a whole bunch of friends uh, which cause more body odor. The remaining 20%, for instance, anidococcus, peptonifillus, campylobacter and they can also contribute to body odor they're there in much lower abundancies and of course there are a whole lot of bacteria i mean 180 other ones which are very low abundancy there their contribution to body odor is rather unknown the higher the diversity in the armpit is the more chance of having a body odor
6: and i always thought diversity was a good thing and let's stick with diversity for a moment because i'm wondering how different my armpits are from each
0: other
5: There's actually a lot of variability from person to person as far as how many microbes they have in their armpits and what type. You can also have variability between a person's left armpit and their right armpit. We've had some events where people have volunteered to be citizen scientists and be swabbed. We swabbed their armpits to see what's there. And one woman in particular commented that her husband's left armpit always smelled better than his right armpit. And so his obviously had some difference there, that he had more of the smelly things in one side versus the other. But from person to person, there's a great variation.
0: Hey, is that something that you can change? You know how we keep hearing about faecal transplants. What about armpit transplants?
1: Imagine. So one of my first patients was an identical male twin. You can barely distinguish them based on sights, but you can distinguish them based on what you smell. Normally, uh, identical twins look very similar in terms of microbiome. Well, their armpit microbiome was completely different. The smelly twin had high abundances of carinobacteria and other species, while the non-smelly twin also had a bit of carinobacteria, but he had a high abundance of the good ones, of uh, staphylococci. So I said to the guys, well, you know, here's the idea. You have the good ones, you have the bad ones. Are you okay with the idea to transplant from one brother onto the other in order to you know, improve the body odor and get rid of the smelly ones. That was my first case, and it was immediately successful. So we did uh, three transplants. We pre-treated the smelly armpits, and we then uh, we asked the non-smelly twin to stop washing himself for four days. So we transplant fresh bacteria, fresh from one armpit to the other. We incubated that, and we immediately saw an improvement in body odor that lasted for a long time, even up to a year after transplant still had the good bacteria and so that was the first successful case of uh, arm transplants and that was uh, the basis for for investigation.
0: I reckon that sounds like something you could do yourself.
6: Yeah it does sound pretty easy although could you imagine that conversation you find someone who smells really nice and you go up and you say hey can I swab your armpits? Oh, that would be a bit <laughs> awkward wouldn't it? <laughs> if you don't wear deodorant what happens? Uh, my wife kicks me out. <laughs> Does he, does he smell bad?
4: <laughs> Very bad. <laughs>
6: it's all good. It's my order. Come on, it's mine. <laughs> There's people in the gym who could really do with wearing some deodorant or, or washing before they go, I think.
0: A lot of women like the smell of a sweetie male, and it's pheromones. It was designed to attract you to someone who was big and burly and therefore had better genes. Yeah, what about pheromones? Because I thought they were a really important chemical signal for finding a mate. That's right. There's the really well-known smelly T-shirt study where people wore T-shirts a couple of days, people sniffed them, were attracted to someone who's genetically different. Sounded great, but... The evidence, meh, not so clear.
6: No, it's a bit murky. In the latest science, looking at two specific pheromones and attraction has come up with nothing. So our advice, if you're looking for love and companionship, is to wear deodorant. You're much better off. But how does deodorant actually work?
5: Deodorants, what they typically do, are essentially antimicrobials. They'll kill off the microbes that are there, and they usually have some sort of a scent that you know helps to mask whatever odour is remaining. But then antiperspirants actually block our pores temporarily, so it's preventing the sweat, so we're getting rid of the food that the microbes would be eating and producing the smell from. So that's how they work, and a lot of antiperspirants also include a deodorant mixed in.
0: So what she's saying, Simon, is antiperspirants block pores, but how do they do that?
6: Well, it's a mechanical process, a little bit like a cork in a wine bottle. Basically, you apply antiperspirant, which has aluminium salt in it. Now, that's alkaline. When it comes to contact with sweat, which is acid, it turns into a gel. That gel blocks the sweat pore. No water is secreted, and the bacteria have nothing to eat.
0: Now, that's pretty effective for most of us, but if you are a super sweaty person, I think that's called suffering from hyperhidrosis, you might want something a bit more drastic. Get Botox injections in your armpit that hacks the sweat gland, paralyses it, and it'll last for about six months.
6: And if sweating is really ruining your life, you can go for something called a sympathectomy, which is really invasive. They, it's a keyhole procedure. They go in through your rib cage and they cut part of your nervous system, which stops the signal going from your brain to the sweat gland.
7: Okay, so what I'm doing is I'm just measuring the skin temperature on Simon here. We've come into a warm environment and his skin temperature at the minute is about 33 and a half degrees, which is warmer than it would be outside, but I'm expecting his skin probably to get another one or two degrees higher than that, and that's when we'll really start to see him sweating. And as I thought, a little bit cooler, 31 degrees for Alison here.
0: How are your armpits feeling? I actually
6: didn't put any deodorant on today because I thought it might affect the results of the test and I've got on a synthetic top that I know in the past I've worn and when I sweat it does tend to smell a little bit.
0: Whereas I've gone for the natural fibres I'm wearing silk. (laughs) Silk? Boy I can tell you one thing I wouldn't have worn polypro. Boy that stuff stinks.
6: Yeah I reckon I've cleared a few huts over the years when I've been out bush for a couple of days and come in oh yeah it pongs
0: yeah I'm a big fan of natural fibers like wool and there are lots of companies now using merino wool and other fibers as selling points in the athleisure wear industry
6: yeah that sector's going off you've got antibacterial impregnated fabrics with things like triclosan and nanoparticles and the whole idea here is that this stuff's going to make you smell sweet
5: SureCheck Healthcare Fabrics incorporate a proprietary antimicrobial additive. The antimicrobial agent helps protect the fabric from microbial attack and reduces undesirable organic odours.
6: Toby Richter from the University of Otago is studying the absorption and release of compounds that smell really bad in three different fabrics, wool, cotton and polyester. Now, he wants to better understand how smells build up in our clothes and how we can reduce them.
2: We found that actually wool absorbs a lot of the compounds. Polyester absorbs compounds as well, cotton not so much. But then when we looked at the release, we saw that because cotton didn't absorb much, there was not much of a release. But for wool, although they absorbed a lot, we didn't see a release of compounds, so it kind of retained the odour. But for polyester, there was an increase in volatile compounds, so that kind of explains why if you leave your sports gear in a bag for a couple of days, it starts to smell quite strongly. Do you
6: understand why the wool is holding on to those smells, why it
2: isn't releasing? It's not completely understood, but one theory is that wool is a protein, so it has a very complex structure that has lots of different possible binding mechanisms that it can retain the odour better than other materials.
7: All right, so we're just going to have it the measure of um, Simon's skin temperature. It was 33 and a half degrees, and it's gone down about a degree. So it's now 32 and a half degrees. And looking at his face, I can see that that matches exactly right because he's sweating quite a bit, and the whole point of sweat, of course, is to cool you down, which is why his skin temperature has actually dropped. Measuring Alison's, yours has actually gone up about a degree and a half. So, again, that probably matches your profile because you don't look anywhere near as sweaty, which suggests that you're still heating up and you're yet to kick in with your serious sweating. So, Toby, from that measurement you've just taken,
6: Temperature versus sweat. I mean, I really am starting to pour, and when I look down, there's a, a pool of sweat beneath my feet here on the exercise bike.
7: Individuals will sweat at completely different rates. There's no real rhyme or reason. There's lots of factors that contribute towards that. So generally, the fitter you are, the smaller you are. If you live in a hot environment and you exercise, you're going to sweat a lot more. But individual to individual, yeah, there's huge variation.
0: But on average, say in this kind of environment and doing this kind of exercise, how much would I be sweating in an hour?
7: Typical sweat rates would be anywhere between about 0.8 of a litre, all the way up to 2 litres an hour.
6: I think I'd be in that 2 litres per hour, camp because I've got to say it is dripping off me now. Uh, and I know I don't have a lot of hair to hold any of this moisture in but I feel like a veil of sweat
7: now is just dripping off my face. Yeah, that's right. And and if we were to check all over your body, we'd find that probably your face, your chest, your back, they're the heaviest sweaters, and it certainly looks as though you're at a disadvantage wearing that synthetic fibre. (laughs) Well, I
6: don't look as good for a start. It's a bit clingy.
0: My sweat is now running down my face into my eyes. Is it part of the reason we have eyebrows, is to try and divert some of that sweat? that's right. I mean,
7: we we don't have body hair to allow us to sweat. One of the the theories of having eyebrows is that actually it stops sweat getting into the eyes.
0: It's kind of working.
7: Although Alison, along with her lovely eyebrows, is now starting to show
6: little sweat marks on her silken top, so we've got a slight discoloration.
7: Oh, no, emergency. Okay, so we're about um, 30 minutes into this sweat test and uh, what we're gonna do is we're gonna dry Alison's forearm and then I'm gonna place a special technical absorbent over it and that absorbent paper is going to collect all her sweat and we're gonna time it for five minutes and then see exactly how much she sweated over those five minutes. Simon's hairy arms are looking a dance sight wetter than mine. Okay, we'll just give this gorilla a nice dry and place the same technical absorbent over, hold that in place, and five minutes later, we're gonna see how much Simon actually sweats. Simon was the heavier sweater. He sweated at about a litre an hour, whereas you, Alison, were about 600 grammes per hour. Oh, I am sweating like a pig.
0: Whew. I don't even know that pigs actually sweat, Simon, but, I think there's an animal here at Massey that does and that might beat even you. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so we've got the treadmill it's going.
1: Treadmill going, a, Chris you know, we'll Rogers
0: is a senior lecturer at Massey University. He's got a special interest in equine biomechanics.
1: Yeah, we'll just walk and um, just get the horse limbered up and warmed up.
0: Yes, he did
6: say horse. And there's a pretty unusual video on the website right now if you want to have a look.
3: Animals do sweat. In fact, I'm not aware of any mammal that doesn't sweat. But what we need to be aware of is that sweating is only one of the means by which an animal can cope with the problem of needing to lose heat.
0: This is Nick Cave. He's Associate Professor at Massey University's Institute of Vet, Animal and Biomedical Sciences. Animals,
3: including dogs, poultry and ruminants, tend to lose heat when they need to by panting. We've all heard the expression sweating like a pig, but that's actually probably not a term that we should use as somebody as a derogatory term. It may even be a term to describe someone that sweats very little. Pigs do sweat but they are not an animal that uses sweats to efficiently lose body heat. They lose heat by evaporative loss of heat, same as what we're trying to achieve with sweating, but they do that instead, or they tend to do that, through behaviours such as wallowing in waterways, wallowing in mud. At the other extreme is in fact the horse. The horse is a champion sweater. On this treadmill we can get a horse up to racing speed and depending on the ability of the horse, that's sort of 50 to 60 kilometres an hour. So when you have a horse going that
1: fast, it's absolutely phenomenal.
2: Horses are the most
3: profuse sweaters and they can lose litres and litres of water during a competitive event. So you talk about endurance horses, we can be talking 9 to 10 litres of water that is lost during a 160 kilometre ride. So if you want to insult someone properly, you should probably say that they're sweating like a horse rather than sweating like a pig.
6: It was a cool day and the horse was cantering and the sweat was pouring off it. You could see it running
0: down the beast. It was such a good sweater. Well, pity that poor old horse. It's wearing a really thick, hairy coat. Which makes it far less efficient at sweating than you and I. So somebody calculated that if a horse and a person were to run a marathon on a really hot day, the person would outcompete the horse because of that. Because we're naked and sweaty, we're much better. Hello, I'm Ruth Warwick, and here's a wonderful new product. Five day deodorant pad. It's made all other deodorants old fashioned. Here's why So sweat's been this really demonized, but deodorant. in the future it could be really useful.
6: Yeah, scientists at the University of Texas are using a tiny patch to measure biomarkers in sweat so they can measure sugar levels for type 2 diabetes patients in real time, no needles involved. And the really cool thing is that the idea for the sensor that continually monitors hundreds of sweat glands came from a really unlikely source. (laughs)
4: Being from India, I have worn a lot of saris. And saris have interesting weave patterns, which are nothing but microtextures. And the idea here is that they wick out a lot of sweat. So the idea here is how do you get the appropriate volume of sweat that your skin produces to essentially wick or transfer onto a sensor surface and then give you a reliable read.
6: Professor Shalini Prasad is leading the team developing sensors to measure sweat.
4: The biomarkers in sweat are a combination of metabolites. So these are things that your body metabolizes and then essentially gets it out of your system. So as a result, some of it will go through your circulatory system and eventually end up in your sweat. So some examples of these would be ethyl which is essentially a metabolite which a liver put, puts out and this is an outcome of when you consume alcohol so if you can monitor for that you can monitor for alcohol consumption the other of them is cortisol so which is associated with stress so you can essentially monitor dynamically the stress associated with your body and then of course the third one which is a lot of interest is glucose so this of course will tell you whether you are hypoglycemic hyperglycemic or whether if you're taking uh, insulin medication, where exactly in the spectrum you are at that point in a given day.
0: I was fascinated when she said you can detect how much alcohol you've been drinking in your sweat. I could just have my own personal little alcohol detection patch to tell me if I'm good to go or not.
6: And that same sensor can measure cortisol, which is an indicator of stress. So if you're a surgeon and you're about to do a very intricate operation, you can have an app which essentially talks to that sensor because it will communicate wirelessly. And it would warn you and say, "Uh -uh, your cortisol levels are too high, stop, go no further. Pretty clever stuff.
0: It's amazing what sweat can do for something that's essentially sterile, slightly salty water.
6: And something that we spend billions and billions on, and every day I wake up and I think, oh, I better put the old antiperspirant on, and yet if I wasn't able to sweat, I wouldn't be here today. My ancestors, back in that savannah, when they were running around chasing the gazelle for tea, their ability to sweat allowed them to run those marathons for dinner.
0: And you don't need to feel so bad about your BO,
6: because it's not you, it's the microbes. Thanks, Alison. I must say, that's nice now. If somebody says you smell, you can just say, no, it's not me, it's my microbes. And you don't sweat
0: like a pig, but you do sweat like a horse. Hey, thanks and thanks for listening I'm Simon Morton I'm Alison Balance and this is The Science of Sweat produced by Richard Scott
6: and coming up in The Science of we have virtual reality and then The
0: Science of Vitamin C and you can find all of these on our website rnz.co.nz we're also on iTunes and Spotify or wherever you get your podcast from and
6: please give us a rating ideally a good one because the more ratings we get the more people end up listening to the show yes that's the way these things work thanks again